How Have You Not Seen That? My name is Charles. I'm Wilson. I'm Crossan. This is a podcast where we admit to movies that we have neglected to see, finally go and see them, and talk about them from a modern perspective. So, Crossman, you chose Working Girl, so why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. Working Girl is from 1988. It's a very 1988 movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Our main character is played by Melanie Griffith. She is a assistant secretary to a couple of trader scumbags and she's smart and like understands trading but since she doesn't have the education or pedigree she's not able to be a trader so right. she acts as an assistant and trying to move up she takes classes at night and then she tries to get recommended to a role by her boss, who's played by Oliver Platt, and he's like, you gotta go talk to this uh, commodities guy or something, and, you know, he's he's got a spot, and he's looking arbitrage. for... Arbitrage. 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 Which could mean anything, <laughs> yes. but... Uh, <laughs> <Right>. Arbitrage guy. <laughs> so, she goes to meet this guy, and he's played by Kevin Spacey. Whoa, and it turns out he's a creep. Yeah, <laughs> Whoa. he's just like I IRL Kevin Spacey. Or, only straight. Yeah. <laughs> He, she's in the back of his limo, and he like tries to sexually assault her, and he, she like gets out of the limo. And she left. sprays him in the face with a bottle of champagne. Yeah, yeah. and he's like, <laughs> get some good. Leaves her on the side of like the West Side Highway or whatever. <laughs> she goes back to work, and she like calls out her boss Oliver Platt, and he like fires her on the spot. No surprise. <laughs> so she goes to. I guess she's a temp agency. It's a temp agency that she's been temping through. I think so. And they're like, this is your last chance. And uh, so I'll find you a spot in this firm and you're basically a secretary. Turns out it's a firm that's run by a woman played by Sigourney Weaver. This is shown to be fairly remarkable and all of her employees are women. And Sigourney Weaver is like a very educated and posh director i guess of this place and she sort of makes all the financial and, and trade decisions so she's mostly on the phone and sigourney weaver uh, is going to switzerland on a ski trip where she thinks she's going to get proposed to and she goes on the ski trip and then falls off a cliff and breaks her in a very comical sequence oh, yes. it was hilarious <laughs> yes. Yes. breaks her leg and uh, she's laid up in Switzerland, and she's unable to make it back to the States. Right before she had left on this trip, Melanie Griffith had pitched her on this merger idea that she had, where there was this one company that was like looking to move into television, but the television market's like very hot. So her idea was that if you want a broadcasting license, you can pick up a radio station, and this would also prevent a Japanese takeover of the company, which they're trying to avoid because of FCC licensing rules. Japan, international companies are not allowed to own radio stations in, in the U.S. So this is a very clever idea that sort of like does... Solves two problems. Solves two problems yeah. for this for this company. Yeah. Yeah, she pitched to Sigourney Weaver. And it's like unconventional, so you wouldn't normally think of it. Right. 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 And it requires her to have like very specific <clears throat> knowledge of... Uh, FCC rules and the radio space. Yes. So it's a very clever idea. Sort of the B plot of this also is that 
her boyfriend, played by Alec Baldwin. <laughs> There's a lot of, oh, he's yeah, in this. Is, yeah. is a total scumbag and cheats on her. And she moves out and moves into Sigourney Weaver's apartment in kind of like a switcheroo, starts doing... She doesn't pretend that she's Sigourney Weaver, but essentially like starts doing Sigourney yeah, Weaver. Like pretends she has Sigourney Weaver's job. Job. Yeah. Yeah. So she she pitches her radio takeover idea, and this mergers and acquisition firm thinks it's a good idea, and then she's gonna meet with this guy Jack Trainer. So she goes to like a party. A party, yeah, like a yeah. finance guy party. Um, and she meets a man at the bar and it's Harrison Ford (laughs) (laughs) and they, he's like trying to pick her up, but her friend played by Joan Cusack, (laughs) uh, gave her a, an Ambien, I think, or no, no, um, a a muscle relax, Valium, yeah, Yeah, Valium, which doesn't mix well with tequila, which Harrison Ford's like drugging her Doesn't mix well with anything. Yeah. Yeah. She like kind of gives Harrison Ford, uh, her number and then goes and like passes out in a cab and then Harrison Ford takes her back to his apartment and, uh, puts, puts her to bed. When she wakes up the next morning, uh, she's been undressed, which is very concerning, but she thinks she's like hooked up with Harrison Ford and she's very embarrassed about this. And then she has to leave because she's going to meet with Jack Trainer. So she gets herself cleaned up and then goes to the mergers and acquisitions firm. And it turns out Harrison Ford is Jack Whoa! Trainer. The yeah. audience knows this, but she didn't. Yeah. yeah. And so she's like shocked by this unsurprisingly, but then they like start working together on this like mergers and acquisitions deal. Um, a bunch of stuff happens and like they essentially get the deal to go through. Mm-hmm. But Sigourney Weaver shows up uh, last minute and is very upset to see that her. <laughs> Secretary has been like managing a mergers and acquisitions deal and like tries to sabotage the deal and like take it over. Well, and, um, I'm sorry, go but, ahead. But Harrison Ford kind of has his choices to like whether or not he's going to stick with Melanie Griffith or like stick with the deal. And well, well and he is yeah. the one that was going to propose to Sigourney. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> there were all yeah. sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It turns out he was romantically involved with Sigourney Weaver, but he was going to break up with her. But Sigourney <laughs> Weaver thought they were going to get married. But he's now fallen in love with Melanie Griffin. Griffith, sorry, not Griffin, Griffith. The deal is kind of like thrown off at the last minute by this, but then Melanie Griffith in kind of like a last ditch effort like convinces the CEO of the company that this is the right deal and that it was her idea originally Mm -hmm. where Sigourney Weaver is like trying to take credit for the deal. And then when he asked Sigourney Weaver for like any research or information as to like why she came up with this idea she doesn't have any information and it's clear that melanie griffith had like come up with the idea she gets fired from sigourney weaver's company and the deal goes through but she's offered a role from the ceo and she shows up on the first day thinking that it's like another secretary role but it turns out that she's like a corner office person and is now like fancy. A, a middle manager like <laughs> yes fancy she person achieved, yeah achieved, uh, yeah that dream and, and that's and she falls in love with Harrison Ford and they like get together. Right. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was that was it. Okay. So it had been a, it had been that was very thorough. Yeah. It had been a long while for me since I'd seen this one, so it was one of those ones that kind of felt like a first viewing. Yeah. Um, how'd you feel about it, Cross One? I I loved it. I yeah? I was okay. like shocked by how good it was. <laughs> yeah. It's well made. Um. Yeah. It's very well made. It's well acted and um. It's as like progressive as like it could be for the time. For 1988. And I think it does a good job of like 
just someone who's like very competent but like has not been dealt like the right deck of cards yeah. Yeah. to like move up in the world and it has like a subtly like anti-system message which i think like always appeals to me although yeah. she just like does the system very well yes. which i think is problematic is, yeah <laughs> I, I think the romance element of the movie is just like tacked on and feels like very 80s where it's just mm-hmm. like oh yeah like harrison like the only reason that she like kind of falls for harrison Ford is that he's like Young Harrison this Ford. This movie's really horny for Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah it really, <laughs> really is. Well, he's already starting to get a little old too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that felt tacked on, but otherwise, like I really like this film. I like like this character. I think is very charming and uh, feels very real, and it feels like a very lived experience mm-hmm. for whoever wrote this. And yeah. yeah, I think it's like it's a cute little film. It's yeah. not like the best film ever, but I think if like for an '80s romance movie, I think this is actually one of the better movies that you could you could watch. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it, was, it was written by Kevin Wade, who evidently also wrote Junior and Meet Joe Black. So okay, uh, maybe it's not a lived experience. Then. <laughs> um, it was, but it was it was directed by Mike Nichols, which I think goes a long way toward the quality here. He also did gradu- uh, The Graduate, which we uh, saw much earlier. Um, so I think that that might be where we're seeing a lot of the yeah. solid filmmaking here. Um, what do you think of this one, Charles? I thought it was entertaining, but maybe a bit of a like lukewarm experience. Okay. Yeah. Like okay. I mean, like I, you know, I was into the characters and the drama, and it was pretty funny. Um, but like, I don't know if it was like memorable memorable enough for me to really take anything away from it. Okay. That's tepid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. that's what I'll give it. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. it um, I, I, I'm closer to Crossman on this one. I, I, I liked yeah. it. I, I, I thought it was good. Um, better than I remembered it because I frankly didn't remember it that well. Mm-hmm. I wasn't all that impressed with Harrison Ford, um, although I think that he finds moments towards the end of the film yeah. um, to kind of act. Um, yeah, I'd say like 50% of his scenes are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like his complaint, like because he complained at the end of the production that he was given the girl role it's like, yeah, man, that's the <laughs> fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, like, that's yeah. the thing. So you didn't understand this film <laughs> yeah, exactly. at all. Yeah. Um, so it, take that for what it is. You do have to kind of keep watching around that, like, this is what feminism looks like in the 80s, right? Because, like, if, if this movie comes out now, like, the, there are many very obvious problematic elements to what's going on here. Okay, like, it's 1988. Like, that's, that's what it is. Um, but I thought Griffith was, was great. I think the character was great. Um... Sigourney Weaver, like, as, like, this conniving villain, you know, power uh, suit, whatever it is, uh, works for me. Like, it's just, Sigourney's, like, she's knocking so it out of the park. Of course she is. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Of, of course she is. But it, to me, it's just, like, solid filmmaking. Like, it's just good, basic, solid filmmaking. I like Baldwin as, like, a scumbag, too. Again, not yeah. a lot of acting there, but yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's so, like, gross. <laughs> like, what a, what a creepy. I mean, it's looks so good. weird to see young Baldwin. Yes. Young Baldwin always looks so oily. He looks, mm-hmm. and he looks frail. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, he, he look, <laughs> either oily or, like, if you touched him, he'd be sticky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's something gross about him. He's like simultaneously gross, but he's, I mean, he's also a pretty good looking guy. You're right. Know? There's just, no denying that. He, so it's like a weird, like. Just needs a good scrub. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think the, the major unfortunate choice that this movie makes uh-huh. is that she gets together with Harrison Ford, which feels to me like it undermines the point of the movie. Okay, uh, I, I, I'm going to disagree. Okay. And I'll tell you why. I think it, that they do lay a lot of the groundwork for that relationship okay. to, to work. Like, the, the, the initiating oh, yeah. of it is bad. Like, Harrison Ford mouthing, like, 
double when they order a shot of tequila, that kind of thing. It's like, essentially drugging her. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, he's trying to date rape her, and then he's like, oh, technically he doesn't, so he's a good guy. Like, that is bullshit. Like, yeah. that's 1980s, yeah. whatever. Okay. Um, but I, I think after that, like, what makes the relationship work is that, like, he comes to respect her as a professional and as someone who is ambitious and, like, has good ideas and is intelligent. And I, I think that works pretty well, and it's actually probably something that we could use more of in modern cinema that we, we huh. don't see. Yeah. Right, like Fair. so, I liked that about it. I actually thought the romance was pretty solid. What I think is the bigger, like, fundamental problem with this movie is that it pits, like, it, it posits that the problem with women advancing in the workplace is other women, right? Like that, oh, okay. that what she has to overcome. Is, I don't I, know I, if I read it that way. Though. Oh, okay, really? I did. So yeah. I, yeah, I got that a little bit. I think to me, what it was is that like the other people that she was working with just saw her as like a potential relationship. Sure. And so to me, they like the Harrison Ford relationship, although he does like value her, her as like a person, as like a thought partner in this project, mm-hmm. still like undermines the film that she's like still hooking up with like a coworker. <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. and, and, and really just mm-hmm. because the coworker is like very good looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of like, I was just like, they don't need to like get together sure. at the end. Like, I didn't feel like the romance the, was necessary yeah. either. Um, I don't know if I would call it undermining, but it didn't. It felt a little shoehorned. Okay, uh, I, I, to me, I, it felt like a really fundamental thing. I think one of the and this is like a funny tangent. One of the things <laughs> I like about Pacific Rim, <laughs> oh yeah, is that there's a there's a woman and a, and a man and they work they work together and they save the world together, and they like have this one moment at the end of the film where you're like they're gonna kiss and then they don't and then yeah. it's just yeah. like roll credits it's like what yeah. like, um, have you yeah. ever seen uh, Norma Jean the, um, or Norma Ray rather the union movie with um, no I hear I'll, I'll put that on the list but, yeah, yeah. it's good and yeah. like just so pro-union but it does a similar thing where like the union organizer comes into town and Sally Fields is like the worker at this textiles factory and like she's the one that like meets up with them and it's like on the hook for the union early and they like basically spend the whole movie together and they get to the moment where he's like going to leave town after the union is formed. And they're like, yeah, it was nice working with you. Like, I'm glad we formed the union. And then they hug and he drives away. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's very good. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't, I don't need these characters to be together. And Harrison Ford's like, it's, even his character is like kind of a scumbag, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, he is. I think yeah. part of the reason it worked for me is, A, I think that just the fundamental narrative work was done. That he, like, here. valued her. Yeah, I think yeah. that, that that work was done, and I like to just see that done well, and I think it was okay. here. And I also like that, like, it, it's pretty clear that what Mike Nichols is doing is trying to, like, flip the script a little bit here, that, like, the rise to the top story told from a female perspective, that it's about the woman's good ideas getting her forward. So yeah. it's nice that, like, we've seen the man with the, like, do nothing, you know, romantic partner that they get for no reason. And like that Melanie Griffith gets that as well at the end of this movie. And that the movie spends its entire runtime just talking about how hot Harrison Ford is. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, yep, okay, you get that too, you know, Melanie Griffith. And I I thought that, I I liked that about it as well. Um, That said, I was reminded of, obviously, the um, most famous improvised line in Empire Strikes Back, where 
he is, he's, where Leia says, I love you, and he says, I know, after many takes of Harrison Ford being unable to convincingly say, I love you too. And yeah. I think there was some of that here. Like, he has, a, he has a tough time, especially early in the movie, like, doing the romance acting, I think. Like, that is not his strong suit. That's part of probably why I wasn't really sold on it. He, yeah. he doesn't kind of like other people. Like. Yeah, like, he, yeah. Harrison Ford as a person just, yeah, is, is yeah. a curmudgeon from birth, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, there's a reason we haven't seen him in romantic roles, really, oh, yeah. at all. Um, so I think that part, that hurt it. That hurt the movie. Um, it, it almost feels like Harrison Ford is a little miscast here. Yeah. yeah. They do have a scene where he says, I love you, and I was hoping yeah. that she would say, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It didn't happen, but I, I, I thought of it. Right. But I remember I was like, oh, yeah, that's why they had to change that line in Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, but okay. I was also like... <laughs> I was also like, wow, you've probably known each other for like four days. Like, probably yeah. breaks a little. Right. In, in romantic comedy timeline, that's, you know, years. Fair. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but you were saying that Sigourney, as like a is the evil, evil woman, <laughs> right. like holding her down. I, that, I think, was really the most, raised the most red flags for me. Um, that yeah. it, it pits a professional woman against professional woman. Um, one of them has to be nefarious and evil. Um, and that the only way to advance in the workplace as a woman is to replace the woman that came before you. Um, and, like, there's literally a sequence where, like, uh, uh, Melanie Griffith is sitting at some conference room table with a bunch of dudes. Sigourney Weaver shows up, and she has to get up, and mm -hmm. Melanie Griffith has to get up and leave, and Sigourney Weaver has to replace her, as though there's only space for one woman in a, a professional setting. And it, it seemed like the film took that, or assumed that a lot more than it assumed some of the other uh, problematic things here. Um, so, and it was like so fundamental to the narrative, right? Like that's what drove the plot. Um, so for me, that aged very poorly. And yeah. I had to like walk around that. I thought they were going to do like a full switcheroo where she was just going to start saying she was Catherine Parker. <laughs> right. But they don't, they don't go that far. <laughs> right. Because that felt like a very 80s situation mm -hmm. where it was like well, the way I saw the it was and popper kind of trading places swap yeah the way I saw it was that like since she is the villain right like she's the one who's in the wrong for her behavior mm -hmm. uh, so it's more of like it reminded me of like the parasite sort of situation where the people in the oppressed group will tend to fight amongst each other to try to try that's to fair. rise up yeah. okay and that's the way I read it where it's like she's trying to like put down other women for herself to get ahead and obviously that is wrong and she's the villain so she's punished for doing that. Okay. So that's kind of where I was reading this plot line. Yeah, I mean, I, that's interesting, I think. And it, that did not occur to me. Um, but mm -hmm. I think why I think the movie is definitely of the perspective that Sigourney Weaver is a bad actor, right? Like that, mm -hmm. that she is in fact villainous. Yep. Right? As opposed to Parasite where we saw the other none of the poor families in that are depicted as bad, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they're not predicted as, as someone that is misbehaving okay. um, in a way that deserves to be punished. Um, whereas, I think Sigourney Weaver in this one, the, the movie's perspective is that she is a bad person and it is justice when bad things happen to her mm -hmm. uh, because of her bad acts. Um, and I think that is an, an important distinction here. The that distinction being that... Like, the movie's perspective like, on her. Okay. Yeah. Because, like, instead in Parasite, it's more like they're forced into that situation. Right, and the tragedy the, is that yeah. they're in that situation. The tragedy is not that one of them is bad. Okay. Right, and I think that that's where this is distinguished. Makes sense. Yeah. 
Um, it's progressive in the sense that Sigourney Weaver could even be a boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, and even by modern standards, it's progressive in the sense that someone could advance to middle management without a degree, right? Like, yeah. She's going to night school. I don't think she's graduated. If she has, it's like an associate's, and yeah. like that's not going to happen in 2019. And otherwise, Sigourney Weaver seems like like she's employing a lot of women in finance, which. Is good, right? Like, and stealing and, their ideas. And today even would be like very progressive. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that yeah, that is something. But again, like yeah. if, if she's the she's the bad guy here, she's, I, she's the villain. I did like Sigourney's performance a lot because oh, yeah. she does she's a great, great job. Yeah, she's yeah. like very charismatic. So like at first you're not necessarily. I mean, if you read the synopsis, obviously you know what's going to happen. But like yes. you're not necessarily caught up to her hijinks. Yeah, because she seems so like. She seems very wise and very friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, so she seems like someone you want to be close to, right? Like in that initial talk she has with Melanie Griffith's character, right? Like she, it seems like she's going to be like, you know. She a gives good her great one. advice. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, well, and they, they juxtapose, the movie juxtaposes her with Melanie Griffith's first bosses who were not at all interested in her ideas, had no, no desire to right. hear what her input was. And like the first thing she does with Sigourney Weaver is says, hey, I have this idea. And Sigourney Weaver says, yes, that's a good idea. I'll talk yeah. to the bosses about it. So yeah, like the movie sets you up a little bit for like, yeah, yeah. Ah, here's the good one. And then uh, she doesn't actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do we find this movie funny? Like it, it, it's, it's a comedy. Like did we laugh? Yeah. I, I, I think I, there were some funny scenes. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Like I think it has some good like... Sometimes unintentional comedic <laughs> qualities to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I laughed when I saw Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that he's and there. the uh, the upsetting uh, wedding that they go to. The like well, the, the upsetting the, wardrobe for that wedding anyway. Oh god! Yeah, that felt like super racist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was like, whoa, that is quite a uh, New York Italian. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was into that. Um, <laughs> All about the Italian racism, right? No, no, no. It was like a, it was like a, uh, like a Caribbean themed wedding or something. Oh, that and I was thinking of the wedding that on Staten Island, like closer to the end of the movie. Oh yeah, that was funny too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but yes, like the Caribbean thing, clearly, yeah, racist. Yeah, yeah. and that was juxtaposed. <laughs> actually, the movie has like a very interesting class message. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure what to take away from it, but it does like have a like. These are like Staten Island townies, and then yeah. Yeah. right across the river is like uh, finance, the, the like, fancy folks. Yeah, finance. Yeah, um, the movie doesn't seem to have like a ton to say about that. And if anything, the message is like kind of bad because it's like you need to like get rid of your like lower class trappings, and mm-hmm. that's like one of the reasons that you'll be successful. And I think that that's bad, and that's still an element of why people are not successful career wise. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, like, a bad element of this movie. Yeah, and it's yeah. there. You're absolutely right. Because, yeah. like, th- she wins when she casts aside her shitty towny boyfriend and her shitty towny friends. Yes. Um, when she starts dressing differently and dressing more appropriate for a professional setting. And then she gets, like, the good job where she is in a box somewhere. Yeah, and yeah. her towny friends are just, like, you know, they got the big 80s hair and yep. they have... They, Ugly bridesmaid dresses, and they have yeah. like bad accents and right. Well, and or quote unquote bad, but yeah. and, <laughs> the, the movie like judges them for their the way that they talk and yes, dress. Certainly, and Alec Baldwin is like a very stereotypically bad boyfriend, and that he's you know cheating on her and it, it gaslighting her and you know all threatening violence, like all of all of that stuff, which feels again like 
projecting a lot of assumptions onto a, a working class. Yeah, it, this is very like like poor people are just like worse. <laughs> yeah, we're worse. worse. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> they're yeah. just worse. Yeah, um, and that's that that's shitty. I think that it, yeah. it is a pretty classist movie in that way. Yeah. Um, but it, again, it's the eighties. Every, every every the eighties were a classist decade. Like that's the whole yeah. premise of the nineteen eighties. Um, I, I did see a bit more. Um, <clears throat> parasite parallels where part of okay. it is that that she is competent but won't be recognized just because she doesn't have some kind of superficial degree or a superficial appearance yeah yeah um and so like she has to kind of bullshit her way to mm -hmm. to get people to be convinced of her competence right and that's kind of the same thing that they do in parasite Absolutely. like even in parasite they they fake the degree they kind of dress up in their mm -hmm. nicest clothes to kind of pretend to be who yeah. they aren't, right? <laughs> I mean, this didn't occur to me at all, but I think you're kind of dead on the money here. This is like, this would be a cool double bill, right? Yeah, maybe. Because like, it, it even like kind of has almost the same plot structure. Just Parasite does it four times instead of yeah. once. And that like they're coming in to replace people that are injured or fired for whatever reason. Yeah. And yeah. like, but I, yeah, I that's, like, that's really cool. But <laughs> Parasite's like on the side of the poor people, yes. whereas like this is on the side of like, Specifically, Melanie Griffith, like yeah, being yeah. successful. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, like she's like not one of the bad ones or something like that. Yeah, exactly. I, I see. I see where you're getting that with. Yeah, that. which it kind of just makes it like that distinction makes the double bill all the better, right? Yeah. Like that because it kind of calls attention to like yeah. how these movies are taking similar plot mechanics and like treating them very differently, mm -hmm. um, and you get very different messaging out of that. And like that's like that's when you can really start seeing the nuance in cinema, like with yeah. those kind of comparisons. Um, so yeah, that's that's well spotted. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, how do we feel? Because you you've mentioned it a few times uh, during your synopsis, Crossman, that like there's a lot of oh shit, that guy's in this movie. Um, how do we feel about Joan Cusack? She's the first one we see. I like Joan Cusack a, okay. a lot. I think she's like a good yeah for that role. It's like a Staten Island townie. Yes. Uh, I I like her, and she's kind of like sort of unapologetically like who she is in that character where it's like she's fine having big hair and having ridiculous like, crazy clothing. clownish makeup like, <laughs> yes god very um, it's yeah. like a cartoonish version of what we think of the 80s now yeah i mean because I, I mean i was born in 1988 so i don't really know what, what it was like at that point but like i have a very difficult time believing anyone managed to get their hair to look like that on a day-to-day -day basis like, that's got to take work. It it's looks, so much time. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like, or to have that much makeup on every day. Like, how? It's un it's bad for your skin, certainly. And But again, just the money, the time, the it, result. Like, why? Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I did not get that. I, I like that character a lot. Though, yes. Where she's kind of like dedicated. She's like a, I don't want to say she's a good friend, but she's like, She's like trying to help. She's on. Yeah. yeah. She's on uh, Melly Griffith's side as well as she yeah. can be. I think she has yeah. bad advice, but I think it's fine for the character because she's like, right. you need to get back with Alec Baldwin because yeah, like well, it's coming that's from like the horizon of your it, of your possibilities. Life. Yeah. Yeah, which like it, for the perspective of that character, I think is like, yeah, that's that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, but I I think she brings like a kind of like a realness to that character that. Where Sigourney Weaver's character, I think, is great, but there's like an absurdity to it's a little heightened. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Joan Cusack's character felt like a very like again, I want like I want to say like lived in like char mm -hmm. character. Yeah. yeah. I, when I first saw this movie, it was before yeah. I moved to the city. 
Um, and I think that at that time, which would have been a good 10 years ago now, um, the Joan Cusack character felt to me like something, like there's, to me there's like, there's no way there's somebody like this in the world, <laughs> right? Like this, this isn't real. It's impossible. Right. And character. then I moved here and I was like, oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally realistic. <laughs> that, uh, that rings very true now. <laughs> like I've, I've met the Joan Cusack character. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I think it's funny though when she's like, "Oh, you, like you need to get back with Alec, Alec Baldwin. Baldwin." Like no matter the, like, the guy that cheated on you yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoa, that is a. And then he goes straight to proposing is... to her, and it's upset when she does when she hedges. Yeah, and then he gets really mad. <laughs> yeah, like that's so weird. That yeah. that felt like one of the more progressive elements of the movie because mm-hmm. they're like, yeah. there are other movies where they like get back together. Sure, and absolutely. To to see her be like. No, you're that's come back. That, that yeah. does remind me. I think that's the scene I laughed the hardest at when he gets really mad at her for not yeah. accepting the proposal and he walks off, but he takes this path like stumbling through the dirt yeah. for no reason. <laughs> he just walks off through a parking lot. Yeah, like, but like, like the lawn. dirt part of it, yeah. right? And I don't yeah. know why, but that was just so funny to me, just the way he stumbled through there. And like it seems like there's nowhere for him to go on the other side of that lot. That's that is quite funny. <laughs> I, I also love that engagement party because they have all the like 80s appliances it's like yeah. a like a mr coffee and a blender and yeah. uh something else and it's just like <laughs> man this is like very 1988 yeah like you you get all these items when you get engaged right and like they're for the kitchen and like every kitchen is gonna look like and they're that. all like shiny plastic items yeah they're all like in, in awful awful colors <laughs> right like, yeah it's this like pea green and all this, this, this ugliness. Um, this movie was a humongous hit. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one it was nominated for six Oscars. It won Holy one. Shit. Um, Griffith was nominated. Uh, Joan Cusack was nominated. Nominated for best picture, best original score, or original song. I think best picture. Best picture. Wow. Yes. Uh, Mike Nichols, I think, got an Oscar nomination for this. Uh, it was the Carly Simon was the only one that won for the song, um, but it was, uh, other than that, it lost to Rain Man. This was the Rain Man year. Okay. Rain Man won everything. Um, yeah, massive, massive hit. People, this movie came at the right time, rang true for the audience apparently, um, and which was well good timing for Melanie Griffith apparently because she was really gunning for this role and it basically set her career from wow. this point on. Like she had a. She apparently the day she was auditioning for it, she had flown into L.A. from London, heard that the producers wanted to audition her in New York, turned around, got on a plane from L.A. to New York, and went to the audition from there, like just you know from the plane essentially. Um, she had a reputation as being like a non-actor at this point. She was Tippi Hedren's daughter. She was in Hollywood purely on nepotism, which is probably true, um, and she was just like a you know, bimbo blonde shell and bombshell and that that was it. Sure. And like this movie turned her career around apparently. That this this really worked it for her. And she got back together with Don Johnson afterwards. Mm-hmm. We heard about last week during Miami Vice. Wow. This would have been during nice. Miami Vice, right? Like wouldn't this have been concurrent? Yeah. Uh eighty eight, yeah, probably. Yeah, or like yeah. the tail end of it at least. Um yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I think Miami Vice finished in like ninety or ninety one. So that sounds about right. So yeah. then during that time, they would have given uh, she would have given birth to Dakota Johnson, 
Yep. Um, who, oh, <laughs> yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes. So this is the, the Dakota Johnson is third generation Hollywood. Um, she has <laughs> she's been there a while. Um, so yeah, like this movie, in a, in a sense, kind of it, it, were it not for this movie, we would have no Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, there you go. There you go. Um, and it came out the same year as Die Hard. Yeah. Um, which was also like a surprising hit. Yep. Mm-hmm. And like a small movie that became huge. And then that led to a Bob's Burgers episode. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, combining the two. Holy yeah, shit. where this is described as the sister movie to Die Hard. <laughs> yes. And yeah, the, the kids put I gotta on see a, this. The kids put on a play that is like half Die Hard, half Working Girl. <laughs> And remember, I saw that episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is good. Um, And they they make a lot of references to both movies. Mm -hmm. Um, One being Carly Simon. It's uh, a cool song. Yeah. The one that, I think it's the one that plays in the trailers. Yeah. Um, And it is cool. Uh, Carly Simon apparently did a lot of the score for this, if not all of the score for this. Like, how do we feel about the music in this movie? Um, Like, does it work? Does it feel too 80s? Like, I was kind of annoyed by... That might be that theme song then. Whatever mm-hmm. song that keeps coming back, I felt kind of annoyed by it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt the same way. It's a, there's a lot of it. And I think yeah. that is very typical of Mike Nichols. Um, I, oh, yeah. If you go back to The Graduate, like how many times did we hear yeah, the, the same Sound song of Silence or whatever it was? Yeah, because <laughs> that's what I thought of when I saw this movie. Where it was like, oh, they just kept playing the same song. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a Mike Nichols thing. Here. I don't this like Carly Simon. Oh, really? I don't yeah. know if that's like a minority of opinion, but like... I, yeah, she's <laughs> fine. Like I have no problem with Carlos. Um, so yeah, I'll leave it there. But they, they, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but like, anyway, she's an Oscar winner now. So no matter what you say, okay, good for her. She got there. <laughs> the only one out of this movie. The only um, uh, Sigourney Weaver was nominated too. The only mm-hmm. one of the three or four like lead acting uh, performances that wasn't nominated was Harrison Ford. He didn't get that. Well, no yeah. surprises there. He's... <laughs> <laughs> Not a good actor, so... <laughs> well, he's not yeah. a good actor in this. Like, when, yeah. he, when he finds... He has roles he can do. A lot of roles that he can do. He's yeah. a great Just, Han Solo. He's a great yeah. Indiana Jones, right? Yeah. Like, it's the it's when they require any kind it's of, like, like... When you're kind of a dick. Yeah, or, like, yeah. when, when it requires, the, you know, a lot of human warmth, or even, like, a medium amount of human warmth... Nope, like he can't do that. He's a total psycho. He's just so yeah. wrong. Not, not his thing. He was good in Fugitive, right? No. Yeah. Which was really just about yeah. him, you know, solving Being alone. mysteries. He's he's top billed in this movie. It, which makes sense, because yeah. this would have been not long after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. He was almost, he was yeah. the biggest name. The billing this. is Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver, Melanie Griffith. That adds up, yeah. That's yeah. what I would have guessed. <laughs> bigger names, yeah. 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 Um, it's funny that they got like two giant sci-fi stars <laughs> this movie, to, yeah. <laughs> like shortly after those movies came out. Like, of course, this is what you follow up Alien and uh, the Star Wars trilogy with. <laughs> I did find it kind of funny how little they took advantage of the R rating to the point this where... This was rated R? Yeah. Okay, I did well, not I mean, they that. had nudity and swearing in it, right? I guess, yeah, I like, guess. There was some light nudity and there was a little bit of swearing, but it's like, okay. these days, it'd be suicide <clears throat> for a movie to do that just because of how much less money you make when you're R-rated, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it was just kind of funny how little it really used the R rating. Okay. Like, it wouldn't have changed the movie at all. Yeah, you're right. It was, like, it briefly some nudity. Right, yeah, it was a little bit of nudity. I, I, yeah. And you've seen and Melanie Griffith, like, topless, like, very briefly. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Kevin Spacey shows, like, a porno film to her. Yes. But that's, like, it, right? And then there's a few swear words. Like, showing a film within a film, like, you can get away with on PG-13 sometimes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, especially yeah. in the 80s. Like, that's yeah. why, I, 
Hmm. I didn't think about it, but that's why I would have assumed this is PG-13. I saw also, a few of those scenes, and I looked up the movie, and it, sure enough, it was R-rated. Wow. The PG-13 yeah. rating was also very new in 1988, I think. Because yeah. okay. it doesn't come in until after uh, Temple of Doom and Gremlins. Those yeah. are like the two movies that where they're like... Maybe not. Yeah, these, <laughs> yeah. Are, these are kids' movies, but <laughs> they're really. very violent, and they were yeah. rated PG. Yeah, they're like tearing people's hearts out in Temple of Doom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, people get hit with like a saw blade in, in Gremlins. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because so. yeah, um, I remember like, there are PG-rated movies from the 80s that have like, nudity on that. The, the Graduate's rated G. Okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well then. Yeah. That, that wouldn't happen today. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yeah. So, I, right, I think 80s is a time where they were like, the rating sport was a lot looser. So, okay. like, I didn't, I, I wasn't even thinking about it, but I would have guessed PG-13 for this okay. one. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, Gremlins came out in 84, so PG-13 must have launched, like, soon after that. Yeah. Okay, well, clearly yeah. the R rating didn't impact the success of the movie, though. Mm-hmm. They, they probably weren't thinking about it as much back then. Yeah. These days, it's a very big decision. Well, again, I think mm-hmm. one of the elements of the Bob's Burgers episode was that, like, this is, like, a date movie <coughs> where, like... You know, mm-hmm. the girlfriend got to choose the movie, so they went and saw... <laughs> working Girl? Uh, working Girl. Where it's over, like, over Die Hard. If you were the boyfriend, you chose Die Hard. And then, <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd just advocate for the double feature. I think the Bob's Bill Burgers found the, the solution there. You see both. Yeah. Right? That's, a good, that's a good night. Two yeah. great movies. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, do we have any, um, any closing thoughts on Working Girl? One thing I really appreciated about this movie and I was very relieved by was at the end, uh, when they're on the elevator... Mm-hmm. And um, that's a Mel- really well Mel- choreographed. Scene. Yeah, that was I, like, a I like that a choreographed lot. scene. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Melanie Griffith is basically like fired, and she's leaving to rebuild her life because her life is kind of over at this point. Yeah. It's her last chance of attempt agency and all that. And then Harrison Ford steps in. He's like, "No, I'm not going to do this deal because Melanie Griffith, um, you know, had the idea, and it's her thing, right? And so I was worried that it's going to become the usual thing where the guy has to step in to save the day, which is a very common thing yeah. that is still done to this day, right? But then it turned around, and he fails to do it, but then Melanie Griffith steps up and, like, starts talking. Yeah, he, like, then, cops out. He's like, all right, I guess we're Yeah, he kind of steps down one. because Sigourney <clears throat> Reaver, like, browbeats him down, mm-hmm. right? But then Melanie Griffith's character steps up and, like, you know, speaks up for herself and gets the CEO's attention. Yeah. So she manages to save her own career, which I appreciated. I yeah. thought that was a good decision. Yeah, yeah Re- right. Related to that, Harrison Ford does a good job of playing somebody who's, like, trying to break up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like that whole, <laughs> that whole scene where he comes back and he's like trying to be like not like not tell her but be like I love the sort of like where, intimate yes, that no. like hey this is over and Sigourney Weaver just like doesn't get it. I love the moment where he's yeah. like there's another person and then she kind of freaks out and he like backs out of it and he's like, <laughs> like another person I have to meet right now. I have a meeting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was so funny. Yeah, he's yeah. like very, kind of cowardly, but like he's clearly very practiced in like <laughs> real breakups. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> he, he said, unsurprisingly, he plays a good emotional coward. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like that, that feels very true to, to what we've seen from, from Harrison Ford. Um, so yeah, that's, that's well observed. <laughs> that's funny. Um, okay, so uh, we'll be back. Uh, in a moment with Things We've Seen. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Things We've Seen. This is a section where we talk about things we've seen recently, usually in theaters. Wilson, tell us what you saw. Uh, Okay, so this was not in theaters. This was on a streaming service. I saw a movie called Don't Bother to Knock. 
um, which I've been meaning to see for a while. This is a mm. 1952 movie uh, starring, oh, wow. uh, yeah, starring Marilyn Monroe um, in uh, an early role for her. This would have been before like um, Some Like It Hot and things like that. Um, it's an hour 15. <laughs> it gets in and out pretty quick. Dang. Yeah. Um, it takes place um, exclusively in a New York, kind of an upscale New York hotel over the course of a single evening. Um, the premise is that the lead character, whose name is Jed Towers, uh, played by Richard, Richard Wimark, is a pilot, and he's spending the night at this hotel um, because he's trying to woo back one of the singers at the hotel uh, bar, who's played by Anne Bancroft from The Graduate. Um, she, he is rejected. Uh, she says that he is an unfeeling creep and that she doesn't want to be with him anymore, and, and that's that. As this is happening... Um, there is a middle-aged couple staying in this hotel who have some sort of uh, dinner, like business dinner to attend to, and they need a babysitter for their kid that's there with them. Um, <laughs> the the um, elevator operator says, oh, I know a babysitter that can watch after your kid, Marilyn Monroe, my niece. <laughs> um, so they, wow. say, they say, great. Um, so it turns out, so now we have Marilyn Monroe and the other guy in the hotel at the same time in the middle of the night. Um, their rooms are situated across from each other in a courtyard, uh, similar like a rear window window situation. Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Um, he, uh, which the uh, Jed character is back from the um, bar, having been rejected by Anne Bancroft. Spots Marilyn Monroe across the way. Says, "Oh shit, there's <laughs> Marilyn Monroe." Looks up what room is hers and calls her up, um, and like has they like made eye contact and like flirted a little bit across the the thing here. Um, he ends up visiting her room um, in the middle of the night just to, you know, keep company or whatever. Um, and the, the movie progresses from there. It turns out that the Marilyn Monroe character's fiance died in the war and that she is distraught about this and attempted suicide before wow. the movie started and, like, has scars on her wrist to demonstrate this. And when this man comes over to, like, show affection to her, she... It like projects the dead fiance's identity onto this guy, and is like confused about what reality is at this point. Um, it gets to the point where like she's interrupted by the child that she's supposed to be watching, and she ends up tying up this kid like a pig, hog style, in the room, the next room over, so that she continue can continue socializing wow. with the guy that you know was rejected by Anne Bancroft, and she the the. Drama of the movie is essentially her like emotional breakdown throughout the course of this evening. Um, so this is, yeah. So this That's is a doozy. Marilyn Monroe playing the villain. Like she is the she is very obviously the the bad guy in this movie. It's a fascinating performance from her. Like you 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 think you think of Marilyn Monroe and you think of like these kind of fluffy light comedies, right? With some like it hot, How to Marry a Millionaire, things like that. Um, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, all those things. And this movie is not that. And it's really interesting to see her kind of drop the Marilyn Monroe voice. Like, she's not doing the breathy, like, baby talk thing. Mm -hmm. Like, have her, like, show a range of emotions. Like, she, is, she has anger at this child. She has anguish at the loss of her, of her um, fiancé. She has, like, confusion over what's going on around her and things like this. And it is a, it, it's really a, for her performance alone, it is a fascinating, fascinating movie, mm. and it covers a lot of ground in a very tight 75 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this, it moves right along. Um, I really, really liked it. Um, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. I was in the mood for like a Marilyn Monroe movie, 
And this one had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I said, sure. Wow. And she was fantastic. It might be her best performance that I've seen outright, like this or Misfits. I really like Misfits. Um, but it was really, really good. It's called Don't Bother to Knock. Um, easy to recommend if you have like an hour, hour and a quarter to knock out because <laughs> like, it's a quick watch. Um, it's a premium TV episode. It, it really kind of felt like that in a lot of ways. But yeah, it was it was really, really great. She's great in it. Um, and, and, you know, young Anne Bancroft is, is cool too. Um, so yeah, go check it out. Don't, oh. don't bother to knock. It's a good one. Uh, what did you see, Charles? I saw Ford versus Ferrari. Okay, I had a, I had a hunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit, uh, although I don't think it lived up to a lot of the hype um, that has been going around for this movie. I mean, there's a lot of... It seems to have been really talked up by the press. Uh, and it's not quite that. Like, I thought Rush was a better racing movie than this one, historical racing movie, right? I mean, there's I very mean, few of those. But... Rush is, like, in contention for best sports movie outright. If it, in my book. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that movie. Right. Yeah. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't live up to Rush. Okay. But I think it does a good job at depicting these historical events of mm-hmm. um, Ford deciding to build a Le Mans racing team <coughs> to beat Ferrari, who was a juggernaut back then. And then some of the like, infighting within Ford um, about how they would you know, go forward with this. And it does a good job of telling the story of Ken Miles, who is an underappreciated uh, racing driver who was instrumental to this effort that eventually led to uh, four consecutive years of Ford victory at Le Mans. Um, and like it, Le Mans it, is like the twenty-four hour. race. Yeah, so right? Le Mans okay. is one of the most prestigious races in the world that's been being held been held since probably the nineteen twenties. It's a twenty-four mm-hmm. hour long race in France. Uh, you drive for twenty-four hours Isn't and it? Le Mans. Yes, yes. <laughs> but we're filthy Americans. So. Yeah. <laughs> How do they say it in the movie? Do they say the S or do they not? I think they say Le Mans, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, so the premise of the race is that you race for 24 hours, your car has to make it the whole way, and whoever has driven the furthest distance wins the race. Oh, is that the rule? Okay. Yeah, so there's not a set number of laps. It's just how many laps can you do in 24 hours. Wow, okay. Right. Um, anyway, so they go through the story of how Ford tries to and buy Ferrari. They still finish like, within minutes of each other too, right? Um. I mean, it probably depends on the year. I haven't looked closely into that, but there's an interesting oh, right. story behind this that actually happened. Right, yeah. Um, okay, so Ford tries to buy Ferrari, and like a lot of the events in this movie, they're not, obviously, as you would expect, they're not exactly what happened in real life, but I think the movie did a great job of getting the feel for the actual real-life events mm-hmm. uh, while making them simple enough to, to digest without exterior context or without overcomplicating it. So I think that's a fine line to walk, but I think they did a good job of that. Uh, but the premise is that Ford tries to buy Ferrari. Ferrari basically flips him off, and Ford um, is angry and wants to beat them up at Le Mans. Okay. Um, so they go and contact Carol Shelby, um, who... Um, is like a race car builder who had already won Le Mans in the past. Uh, and that's he, Christian Bale? That's the Matt Damon oh, character. Oh, that's Matt Damon. Okay, got Christian it. Bale plays Ken Miles, who's the car racer. Got it, okay. The driver. Um, and they try to build <clears throat> the car, which is the Ford GT, uh, GT40, um, and try to get it through Le Mans to beat Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main conflict in this movie is between Shelby's racing team and Ford corporate, um, because they have issues with controlling who can drive the cars, right? And Matt Damon uh, trusts his friend, Ken Miles, Christian Bale, uh, as the driver. Ken Miles is instrumental to the development and testing of the car, so he knows the car intimately, mm-hmm. and that's very important to 
racing the car and having it survive the 24-hour long race. Um, but corporate thinks that Ken Miles is bad for their image and he's too uncontrollable, right? And so they don't like him mm -hmm. and they try to keep him away from the car. Um, and so there's basically, the real conflict is between, you know, the kind of rough and tumble racing team and Ford corporate, not really between Ford and Ferrari. Right. Ferrari barely comes up in the movie. They show up in the climactic race, um, but even then... The real conflict in the race, because the Ferrari cars all end up kind of falling apart or crashing out of the race by midnight, right? right. And that's like eight hours into the race, a third right. of the way in. The real conflict is that corporate orders them to have the cars, uh, so Ken Miles' car is like way ahead at some point in the race. And they order the cars to finish at the same time because it's a great photo op. Oh. <laughs> So he has to slow down a ton so they can catch up and finish at the same time. Okay. I'm spoiling the whole movie at this point, yeah, whatever, but like, whatever, whatever right? Uh, and this is something that kind of happened in real life, too. I read right. about the real life story, and the story there is um, they wanted the photo op, right. but also they were, they, they talk about this in the movie, they're kind of worried because the Ferrari cars are already out of the race and the Ford cars are all way ahead. Yeah. Right? And part of the race is that they want to make sure that all the cars can finish, and if the cars are all racing each other, they're punishing the engines more, they're less than right. to finish. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously the racers aren't happy with that. There's some politics there. Yeah. Um, there's actually the real photo that exists, and it's actually a pretty sweet photo, <laughs> I'll admit. Worth it. <laughs> right, but like it looks kind of ridiculous when you see them trying to plan it out in the yeah. movie and trying to get it to happen. Um, and then, because they finish at the same time, um, so Ken Miles is supposed to be the winner, and he finishes maybe an inch ahead of the second-place car. Right. Um, but then they reveal that there's a rules technicality sort of where if cars finish at the same time, the one that started further back has completed the greater oh, distance. Yeah, sure. And so Ken Miles is robbed of his win. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that sucks. And that's like crazy, right? <clears throat> yeah. um, and then uh, tragically, Ken Miles died two, mi two months after that race. So he sure. never got to testing the, the next wow. iteration of the car. Okay. So he never got to um, kind of reprise his role and try to actually like gain actually his victory. Officially win. Yeah. Right. And okay. so that's like a great tragedy. Um, so the movie, um, I think for the most part, does a good job at being entertaining and depicting the story. Uh, and it has a lot of fantastic race scenes. Uh, excellent uh, sound. Okay, uh, sure. I recommend you see it on like Dolby or sure. whatever the Prime Theater is because the sound is amazing in the races. Uh, cool race cinematography. Uh, I saw a behind the scenes um, clip of the movie and these are like real cars they're driving around a track huh, okay um to make it feel as real as possible there's very minimal cgi involved with the races um so <coughs> i think that's a really cool detail mm -hmm. um it was a it has similar or, or pretty common issues with uh, this sort of historical type of film where um it doesn't feel as focused as you might want it to be because it's trying to pick the real events that happen the wikipedia problem Sure, yeah. yeah. So, like, it felt like a bit of a strange tonal shift when suddenly Ken Miles' character dies. Sure. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the film. Mm. Um, because, you know, you leave on, a, like, a kind of tragic note at the end of the race, and then you see him testing, and it feels <clears throat> like he's kind of gained peace with his struggle or and his then, challenge. Yeah. And then suddenly you realize that he's about to die, and he dies, right? And it's like, and suddenly the rest of the movie is just kind of mourning his death, and it, it takes a very sudden turn for this. So it like continues the movie continues after that. Only a little bit. Okay. It's like kind of Matt Damon's character like meeting with his family and it does things all that like stuff. that. Okay. Yeah, and then they do a little bit of the text like 
you know, telling what actually happened after. Right. Um, because Ford does end up winning four times in a row. Um, so there's some, like, kind of reward from that. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it was, there were a few problems with, like, kind of the emotional backbone of the uh -huh. movie, I guess. Because they talk about uh, Ken Miles' relationship with his son, which I think was pretty well done. Mm. Um, like, um... The son becomes concerned for his dad's safety when I think they discover that a racer has died because the brakes failed and the car blew up and he couldn't get out of his car, right? Um, and so you see the son like, kind of cheering on his dad but also is worried for his safety. Sure, yeah. And like whenever he talks to the team, he asks them about the brakes and all yeah. that. So okay. that's pretty heartfelt. But they also have Ken Miles' wife in the movie. And I thought that subplot was very half-baked. It didn't add anything to I the movie it was very much like the kind of cliche like concerned wife mm. sort of story and so i thought that didn't need to be there and the movie is two and a half hours long so this didn't need <laughs> to be in there it was very cliche uh it didn't add anything on the other hand if you didn't have her there's no female characters in the movie so it's kind of like you know a bit of a problem both ways right or just write a good role for a female character sure <laughs> yeah other, in your two and a half hour movie indeed yeah um but yeah so that part was kind of weak um but yeah all in all um pretty entertaining and well made but maybe not lastingly memorable so i, I looked it up in the 2019 first and second finished 16 minutes apart okay okay that's so a good, that's a good chunk Le Mans makes for yeah, that's some... That's pretty... After 24 hours? Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, yeah. in, that's It's pretty close to 24 less. hours. Yeah. Um, it makes for some pretty good stories because I think a few years ago the lead car um, died with something like five minutes left in the race. Oh. The lead car in first place Bummer. failed. <laughs> five minutes left. They couldn't finish the race. That yeah. sucks. So they finished... Nuts. 385... Both first and second finished 385 laps in 2019. Yep. Jesus. It's like wild. It's yeah. a lot. Um, yeah. Back then, they yeah. had two drivers. Uh, now they have three drivers. Yeah, they have three. Yeah. Um, so okay. they rotate out and all that. Um, um, I, I have wondered about that. that Toyota won and took second, though. All right. Well, so their first and second teams won. All right. It's a bit of a strange right. situation because uh, for the last like 15 years, it's been a competition <clears throat> between Audi and Porsche. Uh, and then they kind of both suddenly left the series. I think they didn't want to continue spending money on it. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of left with Toyota being the most prominent developer. And so they kind of just have the best resources. Um, and so they were kind of a shoe in. It's pretty expensive and it's just a vanity sport. Kind yes. of, yeah. yeah. I mean, they'll like. spend more money to win than they win. Yeah. yeah, I it's, mean, that's kind of like how silk. motorsports is. They joke that yeah. uh, if you want to make a small fortune in motorsports, you start with a large fortune. <laughs> yeah. um, but, like, I mean, there's some applications in real life to the technology. Like, there's a lot of aerodynamics development that's applicable to real-life cars. I think sure. the engines are hybrid engines, so that, that improves, um, like, the economics yeah. Um, in uh, real life cars obviously they have to be reliable enough to push for 24 hours sure. so that's applicable sailboat racing is the same way where it's just mm -hmm. like um, just nerdier <laughs> yeah even more so and more like <laughs> class based um, yes. yeah. but Larry Ellison wins pretty regularly the owner of uh, Oracle yeah. oh oh, and because he just spends a fortune yeah yeah on a boat boat technology yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and yeah it's just like billionaires like funding boats yeah. great and yeah. important <laughs> and they're cool boats like like charles was saying they'd like really advance 
boating, boating technology. <laughs> yeah, it, in ways it's like maybe not applicable anymore. But like yep. they're they're doing things where they're like really engineering marvels that are incredible. But I'm sure the application of the technology is separated from the yeah result. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not necessary. But mm. all right. Uh, <laughs> My pick for next week? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is a movie I've been meaning to see for a very long time. Uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Um, so that is my pick. This is Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, their feud coming to a head um, in this movie. Um, so I haven't seen it, and I really, really want to. So that that's my pick. That's the one. Um, right. Neither of you have seen it, I assume? I have not. I don't yeah. think I've heard of it. Same, yeah. Really? Okay. Um, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you're liking the show, please do share, comment, uh, subscribe, follow. Uh, we we appreciate it, and it makes a difference. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, iTunes, and um, I think that's it. We'll be back next week with whatever happened to Baby Jane. We'll see you then.